morning, everyone. It's good to see you. And um, yeah, for those parents, this is the end of the school holidays. So we can all celebrate for various reasons this morning. Um, but it's a real privilege to be able to um, just open up God's Word with you. Um, and we're looking forward to it. This has been an amazing series. And Ephesians is one of those books you can sometimes gloss over it. If you just had to sit back and read through it, it sometimes, you know, it's just, oh, that was nice. But once you study it, once you open up the Word, it's amazing what it can actually do. And this is a small little chunk that Paul writes. It's the second prayer that he said to the church in, in Ephesus. The first one is in chapter 2. And, um, and what I love about it is all, there's this big news about the Gentiles now being included as part of the family. Previously, they were excluded. They weren't part of the chosen family, the, the Jewish nation. And now, the church has to grapple with the fact that the, the Gentiles are included. And how do we do this? And um, I expect it would have rocked the church at the time. And so Paul's prayer to them is quite identity-shaping. And, and we're going to go into it, and we're going to break it up. Um, but I want to unpack this morning's sermon just with um, a simple analogy, and that's of a plane. An airplane, right? Some of you are very familiar with them, spend a lot of time on them. But can you imagine a plane was about to take off with one wing? That's it. One wing, you jump on board the plane, you only see one wing there. How confident would you be that that plane had the power and that it was designed in that way that it could take off and fly you to where you're meant to be going? Probably not a lot. Worse still, imagine the plane takes off mid-air, one of the, plane, one of the wings falls off. What would you expect to happen to that plane, right? Keep on going, or would it raise a bit of concern? And it's an obvious question. It might sound simple, but some of what Paul's saying also sounds quite simple. And the truth is, we've all been designed in a certain way as well. And, and, and while some of these things might be simple, the, the truth is, without them, you can realize it's like that plane without a wing. You're not operating in the design that you were actually made to operate within. And that can have dire consequences. Yes, it is Good News Sunday, people. But I really want to just take a bit of time and unpack it and tell you how it's good news. Because how Christ has made this, this, this truth, and when he's praying to them, how he's encouraging them through this. And so I've said there's a couple of principles. And, and if we look at the two, two wings of the plane, the two principles I want us to look at, the first is he starts off and he says, I kneel before the Father. And that's the first, is just kneeling before Christ, a life surrendered to Him. And the second is being rooted and established in love. So let's start with the church has a future because the church only kneels before God the Father, not the Godfather. God the Father. The church kneels before God the Father. And who is the church? Well, we are, right? The combined group of Christ followers. And verse 14 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And what Paul is doing in the saying in this verse is not just a good wish. It's not just a high five, go church in Ephesus. He starts off with a prayer and a posture that's, that's got a deep sense of reverence towards God, right? For this reason I kneel. Just think about that for a second. What are you kneeling before in your life? And for what reason? Is it God or is it something else? takes quite a lot for us to kneel before something, doesn't it? And if, you, if you're here this morning and you don't know God, let me just take one minute to say, I can understand that even the concept of kneeling before God might sound quite strange. And you might hear a few things, even as we go into this morning's text, where we say things like, well, give your life to God, and do you have a relationship with Him? Those might sound even stranger. 
But this is why I love the Bible, because the, the, what the Bible says is that simple uh, or our eloquent speech won't convince you to follow God. You see, what God calls us to do in His Word is to, is to tell you the story, to explain the gospel message to you. But the Bible is very clear. Only God, God alone, can open your eyes to who He is. And so if this morning, as we, as we walk through this text, as we tell you about the, the gospel story, why are we all so excited about the Bible, and a light bulb goes on, that's, that's God knocking at the door of your heart. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens, I will come in and eat with him. And if the light bulb doesn't go on for you this morning, you can just blame that on ESCOM, right? No, but if it doesn't, we trust that to God too. We know that it's all in God's timing. But when Paul is saying, for this reason I kneel before, it's linking to the previous chapter. And Drew did a good job last week of just showing how God displays his manifold wisdom through the church. And, and that picture he gave us, which I love, is like one stream of light hitting a diamond. And how it's refracted. And it can even create color. And I just think that it's such a beautiful picture of what God can do through his church. How he can display his manifold wisdom. So Paul makes it clear he's blown away with who God is. Enough that he's willing to kneel before him. And this wasn't a posture that was typical of the, the Jew, Jews back then when they, when they prayed. They actually used to pray standing up. So there's something just foundational and surrendered about the way he's approaching this. Do we find it difficult and a tough journey to kneel before God in everyday life, to surrender our lives to him? Well, there are two quotes I love and when I was looking around. And the first is from Abraham Lincoln and the second is from A.W. Toes. I'd love to read them to you. Abraham Lincoln said this, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. And I guarantee you, he was probably surrounded by people who had a lot of wisdom or supposed wisdom to share with him. A.W. Tozer says this, The reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. Any truth in those? Well, there's a timely truth in Paul's words. The church will never kneel before anything else. That's what makes it the church. No other king, no idol. What defines the church is that it, of, of the Bible is that it kneels before God and God alone. So over, over the years, I've been a Christian for a long time. And, and every now and then you hear, unfortunately, about a, a Christian community that's lost their way, right? For one reason or another. But when I was thinking about it, what I did realize is that none of those have been a result of God messing up. No, the only stories I've heard are of, 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 of a person or a group of people who have chosen to wander away from God or at some stage have just maybe stopped surrendering everything to Him. And so if you've been hurt by a church, church in the past, I just wanted to say this is not how God designed church. It's probably the reflection of imperfect people, but not of our perfect God. God's church is designed to kneel before Him, to be submitted, humble, and completely reliant on Him. So God, the one thing about God is he's, he's been consistent throughout the ages. It's the same call. Kneel before me. Kneel before. The church will always kneel before me. He calls the church his bride, right? What has changed then? Well, hasn't culture shifted so much? I read this of a guy called Guacamo Casanova in 1755. He was 30 years old, and he was jailed for public outcries against the church. Can you imagine that today? Guy stands up and says something to the church, and you, you take him to prison for five years. It's 
culture shifted. And this is one of the, the quotes that he had said. He said, my greatest treasure is that I am my own master, that I'm not dependent upon anyone, and that I am not afraid of misfortunes. My nature tends towards extravagance, such as the man I am. And it's funny, because when I hear that in today's context, that's almost the kind of uh, quote that can be praised, right? I'm, I'm, I'm the master of my own destiny. I don't report to anyone. Um, and yet back then, this is the kind of offense that it caused. Culture is shifting. So what, what risks do we face in our culture today, right here in Cape Town? Well, maybe one of them is about trying to be over-relevant to culture. Reading a great book about this and how it speaks about it, how we all want to pursue a relevant church, a church where we can come to, we can be ourselves, that isn't too weird or intense, that welcomes people who don't know Christ and would like to know more. And, and I'm a believer in making the church accessible people, to people who don't know God and having a great community of friends that we can do life and ministry with. But we must never let our desire to be culturally relevant overtake our desire to be reverent before God. So we must never let our desire to be culturally relevant overtake our desire to be reverent before God. Somehow we've got to keep the spiritual temperature up that we can keep encouraging each other towards having lives that are fully surrendered towards God. And I find this in Paul's tone of his letters a lot, and that's why it's still relevant, how he encourages guys at all costs, stay close to God, stay kneeled before him. And I, and I know that probably you could, get, you could Google and get a list of ways you can stay reverent before God, how you can have that attitude before Him. One of the ways that Paul demonstrates to us is simply prayer. And if you're unable this morning to self-diagnose, if you're kneeled before God in every area of your life or not, why don't you just take a look at your prayer life? John Stott says, One of the best ways to discover a Christian's chief anxieties and ambitions is to study the content of his prayers and the intensity which he prays them. One indicator of a church's dependence on God and submission to him is the depth of prayers of value in our culture. If I had to write up on the screen all the prayers you prayed this week, and I had to just list them on the screen, what would it tell me about you as a person? And if I had to collect all of our prayers as a community... And group them up there and we take out the themes. Would it, would it convey the sense of deep dependence on God? I hope so. But that's the first thing is really the church has a future because it only kneels before God. Secondly, the church has a future because it is rooted and established in love. Verse 16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, dot, 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 may know how high. And I just want to focus on that, that first portion there. When I started off, I said, Paul, has a couple of foundational principles. The first wing of that plane is to, that you live surrendered and kneel before Christ. The second one is that you, you live rooted and established in love. When you combine these two, it's incredibly powerful. But being rooted and established aren't momentary. They're not add-ons. You don't suddenly become a, become a Christian and then you add on love. You just add it on like toppings when you go to Marcel's, right? Best part is because I've got a little kid and I can, like, I can, I can hint at which toppings they need to like, lean towards, right? Um, no, they're foundational. 
it's not a surprise. Some of us may know that, but is it evidenced in our lives? When we look around at our community, at our world around us, do we see people overflowing in lives established by love? A prominent theologian says this, and I love it. He says, the depravity of man is one of the most verifiable facts and yet most intellectually argued. The depravity of man is one of the most verifiable facts and yet most intellectually argued. That some people would still think that people are inherently good. But when you look around, is this true of our city? The world we live in. And before you give an answer, let me just put up 1 Corinthians uh, 13 to you. And let's just read it. I'll just read it through to you this morning. I'm going to take my time through this because I think it just sets the platform for this point. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In light of that definition, when you look at society and our world, is this humanity's response? We're kind. We don't boast. We're not proud. People aren't self-seeking. Not easily angered. We keep no record of wrongs. Wouldn't that be nice? Always protect, trust, hope, and persevere. See, one of the beliefs that's creeping into culture is that, that we can make ourselves good. You can educate yourself. You can contribute to society. You can help people, save animals, love your family. And if you focus on doing enough of those, you're a good person. Some might even go as far as saying that you're a person who is full of love. These are not bad things in themselves, but they're insufficient to make you a person who is rooted and established on love. You see, the human heart can try to be good, but is inherently not. It's far more accustomed with depravity. If this were not the case, and we were all inherently good, there would be a lot less violence, greed, and anger around us, wouldn't there? And so Paul's second encouragement to the church in Ephesus is that a hallmark feature of the Christian life is that it's rooted and established in love. The church has a future because it's rooted and established in God's love. Now let me ask you this. If we take the two wings of the plane, what happens if you, you have one wing and not the other? What happens if you see yourself as a person who's, who's kneeled before God and, you've, and you've, you would say you've surrendered your life, but maybe you're not living a life that's rooted and established in love. Is that possible? Well, it can happen. And I think over time, what you see is a person who's a cynic, a critic. It can be toxic to a culture, but it happens because this is a person who may be knowledgeable about the Bible. They're rooted and established, they surrendered their life, they spent ages studying. And when you read that Corinthians verse, isn't that like, I just find that incredible, that you can even prophesy, you can have faith that moves mountains. But imagine if you don't have love accompanied with that. 
What about the other way around? You're a person who's a, a, a lovely person, okay, but hasn't kneeled before Christ. And this, this feels like a bit more of a difficult one, doesn't, doesn't it, in our culture? Because in, in as much as when I look at the broader story of humanity, and you say that the heart is inherently depraved, and you look at the... There are people who I've met who I look at their lives and I go, wow, this is just such a great person. And, uh, and you look at their lives and you go, how does this make sense? This person is like, I've known them for years, and all they've seen to have done have been good, loving, kind people. I'm going to ask Paul to give you the answer to that next week. Um, no, but I'm, really, I think this is the question that I, I've thought about a lot, right? Because we're often happy to say the one, that, you know, this wing without the love. But when we speak about the love without the other wing, a person who's kneeled down before Christ, it's difficult. And by saying what the church says, which, you, which is saying that you need both, it really does fly in the face of culture today. And culture more, more, more says this at the moment, is, is that as long as you are happy and you find your own truth, good for you. Culture is almost boomed with this craze of just praising the individual, right? So as long as you pursue freedom and you're brave about it, it can come in whatever form. But I, I, I like, like, I follow some of the thrill seekers, you know, like, and I don't know why I do that, but I, I love some of these guys who just do crazy adventures, right? I mean, these days, it like feels like every week you're hearing about another guy who's doing a, just pushing the boundaries further. Like you can run, I heard of this guy who's doing a hundred mile run in the desert, right? Just for laughs and giggles. You just, just run in the desert. You can solo paddle across the Atlantic. I read about someone who's just spending time living with the gorillas. Just living, hanging out, that was just... And there's so many of these like, adventures that people can do. And sometimes when you meet them, they look like incredible people. Is this the sum total of your purpose, though? Okay, I'm not saying, again, some of these things in themselves are not bad. But if I had to say to you, this is what you're banking your life on. This is, this is what you want your life to represent, and that's it. But take a person who's committed their entire life to serving Christ. How does our culture view that lately? Is it seen as a noble, valiant thing to be doing, to giving your life up in service of Christ? Not always. The idea of self is being elevated. And if we as the church chase that too much, the idea of self, what happens is we'll see these many adventures become elevated in our culture. And we're going to start putting down the massive adventure and mission of just being a Christ follower and following what Jesus Christ has called us to do. The gospel story is one of the biggest, most exciting adventures we can line our lives up with. And we need to pursue that wherever we are. So how in the gospel story, I mentioned earlier that there's a gospel story. How in the gospel story are these two wings of a plane represented? Well, let's just look at this. God creates people who, though were close with him, chose to reject him. And God's rescue plan is that he sends his son to earth because no other price could have saved us. And so Jesus is about to be put on the cross and he's in the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus, knowing that it was close to the time that he would be taken is faced with having to kneel before the will of his father. And in Matthew, it says this, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus kneels before his father. It says he actually fell on his face. And this is a person who knew the big plan. 
He knew everything about his father. And yet the reality of the situation was in front of him. Jesus still kneeled before his father. And then as Christ was being crucified, how do we see that he was rooted and established in love? Well, there's one moment I love, and it, it's captured in Luke, where um, it says the, the soldiers were dividing up his clothes. And what was Jesus' response? I mean, you try to put yourself in a place like that. I mean, isn't that just the worst of it? Not only are you being crucified, but then guys are like gambling over your, your clothes while this is happening. What does Jesus say? Jesus looks at heaven and he says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Wow. I just wish I had an ounce of that forgiveness in my week, right? Someone doesn't get me that email on time and suddenly that's just the last straw, right? How, do we, how are we doing in our real lives when we look at these stories? The ultimate price of love of Christ. And there's one final piece to this verse. And it's going to be a closing point we're going to speak to. Is that the church has a future because it's empowered by the Spirit. See, some of us might, might look at it and say, listen, maybe we, 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 it's not perfect, but we've got these wings, you know. We, we've knelt our life before Christ, and we, we want to, we've based our life to be rooted and established in love. But the last question is, can you sustain it? Can you sustain it from the, from the moment you made that decision until you meet God face to face? Because a lot of this may sound like behavior modification when I say like um, kneel and love. And it's how do we do that? Because God does something amazing and says that the price has already been paid when he's gone to the cross. Verse 16 says, I pray, and this is Paul's prayer. He says to the church in Ephesus, I pray out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see it there, Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus is that God would empower them with strength through his spirit. The church has a future because it's empowered by the spirit. But you've also been given this, this, this life source in you. And the question is, is it something that you rely on or use or not? If we take that analogy of the plane, this is almost like the fuel in the plane. So you might have both wings. You might have taken off and be, felt like life's going superbly. If you're not depending on the spirit, at some point in time, it's going to be like that plane's running out of fuel. And what then, right? Plane with two wings but no fuel. Same result. Joe and I went on holiday recently. We had two weeks and we were reflecting. And what was scary is just to see the results of maybe one or two areas where we've chosen to do things in our own strength. They don't have to be big things. But what's amazing is over time, when you do something in your own strength, how it tires you out. You know, you might, you might not have just taken a small little area of your life and totally handed over to God and said, God, with this area, I'm going to totally rest in the, in the power of your spirit to, to walk through this. Sometimes we take one of those things back into our own lives and we try to solve them ourselves. It's amazing how they can tire us out. And so there, in these short few verses, if we can go back to the next slide, what I, one final thing that I just loved is just seeing how the... Paul prays the Trinity into this whole thing. You can just see it. There it is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I love the way he seems to do this in so much of his letters, right? We know that we serve this God that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you see it right there. He kneels before the Father. He prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts and that you would be empowered through the Spirit. What God has given us is all that you know, when he says he, what he's done, you can see how he's done that as a, a triune God. 
And it's just amazing to see it time and time again. Do we really use all that God has, has given us? He's given us access. He says, I've placed the same power in, in you that raised Christ from the dead. And sometimes it doesn't feel like that. We are not going to be much longer, and we're going to do a, a song. But uh, I thought maybe just a bit of reflection time would be good this morning. Because um, this was one of those things that I chewed on a little bit, and then like, came back to it. And I had the privilege of having a week of preparing to sit and actually chew on some of this stuff. But I think maybe we took a couple of minutes and just gave you the opportunity to, to look at yourself, to, to look at your own life. And it's not just an individual thing. This is also about us as a church community. This is entitled, The Future, The Church Has a Future. How optimistic are we when we look at when Christ's church? Do our hearts skip a beat because we love God's church so much? We're so passionate about what God is doing with this church. Maybe why don't we just take a moment and um, I can just ask you just to, if you, you want to, you can close your eyes. If you don't want to, you can just sit and think. Um, have you got both wings of that plane attached? That's probably the first question. This morning, have you definitively surrendered every area of your life to Christ? Have you, have you taken the decision to kneel before Him? You can do this in the quiet of your room. We're also going to pray now. But make no mistake, God knows whether you've surrendered everything to Him, whether you have full access to the power that He gives. And that's only possible when you've surrendered your entire life to Him. And the second wing is if this morning, are you rooted and established in love? When you look at your heart, when you look at how you're responding at home, when you look at how you're responding in your workplace to people around you, is it established in love? Or have you given yourself over to hardness? You feel like it's creating an imbalance in your life. You see breakdown in relationships. It's an inability to forgive. Maybe you need to be reminded of the forgiveness that that Christ forgave us this morning and how we can apply that in our own lives. Christ can release you of that burden of feeling you have to hang on to it. And lastly, are you doing this in your own strength? You're not using the God-given power of the Spirit. And as a result, you maybe just don't feel like you've got enough fuel to make it. Some days you think you do. Other days you're going, God, I'm not sure if I can do this. Keep going. And some people who followed through with that have walked away from the faith. The Bible's clear on that. And yet the beautiful thing God is saying is, this is accessible to you. I'm giving you my spirit within you to encourage you. I just want to pray and then we're going to, we're going to sing. Father God, this morning, I want to ask that wherever we're at, wherever people here are in their, in their hearts and their lives, Wherever we are as a church community, Father, won't you help us? God, won't you empower us to do this? To live completely surrendered as a church and how we respond to our community, as a church and how we love those who would otherwise be unlovable. God, won't you give us your heart? Won't you give us your strength to be able to do that? Father, won't we quieten ourselves and just come before you and ask for your help to do that? We thank you, God, that your heart is so deep, your love is so wide that it, there's none of our lives that can say it doesn't apply, God. We thank you for who you are as 
God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We love you, Father God. Why don't we stand and sing together?